Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. For the better part of, I don't know, six years now, the U.S. men's national team has struggled to fill the position at the top, the nine, the striker, the goal scorer. We've been searching for it, and we haven't found it. In the last cycle, the team threw pretty much every striker we could possibly find at the wall to see what sticked, and not a lot stuck. Well, fast forward a few months and things have changed dramatically. Uh, Folair and Balogun comes into the squad and suddenly the U.S. has one of the top striker prospects in the world at the position. But that's not all. Ricardo Pepe, the young striker, is either has made the move or is in the process of making the move to PSV, one of the giants in the Netherlands, which is anticipated to be a very good move for his career if he can get there and start scoring goals. I mean, it projects so well for the next few years of Ricardo Pepe. Jesus Ferreira is a man that has jumped back onto the scene with a massive Gold Cup. He has recorded back-to-back hat tricks in the group stage of the Gold Cup after putting together a very good game against Jamaica. One of the best, if not the best, attacking player from the U.S. from the Gold Cup. And what about Josh Sargent, the forgotten man, the forgotten striker of the U.S. men's national team, a player who all he did was put together the highest goal scoring record at Norwich last season with a tally of 13 goals and then in the World Cup put together the best performance of a striker and yet seems like he's out of the conversation at this point we're going to talk about that we're going to have that conversation on this episode of the Anchor Port I'm bringing in Jake from It's Called Soccer and we're going to talk about the striker depth chart because all of a sudden things have gotten murky Jake, Jake thank you so much for joining me of course man thanks for having me Absolutely. So let's jump right in. Okay. I, I think I think everybody who you would poll, if you polled a thousand US men's national team fans, you'd have a thousand yeses that at least one or one A or one B of the US men's national team striker depth chart is going to be the newcomer Philarin Balagon. Do you agree? Yeah, Balagon for me is number one. And then there's a huge drop off into two, three, four, five. <laughs> So tell me, what separates Balogun from the rest of the guys? What makes him that top dog right now? I mean, for me, a proven goal scorer in the top five league, although France is now out of the top five leagues, so maybe that doesn't yeah. count for as much. But 21 goals, some assists. He's, he was on loan at Arsenal from Arsenal. Um, I feel like Arsenal has a choice to make if they want to keep Eddie Nketiah or have Balogun as their second striker behind Gabriel Jesus. And for me, it's just the, the quality that Balogun brings in every single facet of his play. I think what we didn't see before he came to the U.S. was could he press? Could he play in the system uh, that the U.S. tended to play against weaker opponents? And I would argue that in Nations League, he was one of the most dogged players, just continuing to press and press and press until he was substituted. Um, otherwise, goal scoring ability, I mean, that has to be number one when we're talking about nines, putting the ball in the back of the net. He has done that at the highest level across all of our strikers. And he can play so many different ways, whether we choose to possess and have him drop in and combine with the wingers and midfielders uh, and drag some center backs with him, whether we want to play more on the counterattack. He scored a lot of goals at Rams last season, getting in behind that last defender and running in behind and timing his runs perfectly for the offside trap. There's just so many different facets of his game that he does really well already at such a young age. And I mean, we have to give credit to Jesus Ferrer, Ricardo Pepe, all those players that are just behind him. Those are also very young players. I just feel like for as much as we can expect Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferrer, Josh Sargent still to project up and, and 
get themselves to a level that we would feel comfortable with them being in that striker position for the U.S. I think Balogun at the same age is already qualifying himself over and above being the best striker in our pool. BetOnline is the number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest lines and matchup reports for golf, baseball, basketball, boxing, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wages, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Yeah, for me, I, I think a top striker, what separates you know the good strikers from the great strikers is the great strikers could just score on their own, regardless of what else is going on on the field. Um, I, I remember for the U.S. for so long, that guy was Clint Dempsey, where no matter what was going on in the game state, if the U.S. had you know 10% possession and just were able to not create any chances for the entire game, the ball would somehow squirt to Dempsey and he would be able to put it in the back of the net. Um, that's that's the thing that was missing from the 2022 World Cup cycle. It felt like every single game, every single goal was just a fight. It was just so hard to score soccer goals for the U.S. And then you'd flip on like the EPL or something like that on the weekends and you'd, you'd see these goals and be like, why can't we do that? Where is that? I was begging just for so long for some... A striker for wearing a U.S. jersey to win a foot race to the back post, to beat a defender in the air on on the back post, to win a foot race to a ball, you know, just to to do these things that we see top level strikers do, to be able to turn your hips and get facing in front of goal um, whenever you have the ball at the top of the box. These are just the things that we weren't seeing. I mean, that the the ease in um, in combination play, the ability to shift out to the wing. These are things that we see in Flo's game that we frankly weren't getting from any of the striker prospects that we had. I mean, we had guys that could do some of those things sometimes well in some circumstances, but we didn't have a guy that could do all those things. And I think we got that in Flo Balogun. I think we saw that over the two Nations League games. As you mentioned, I was very impressed with his pressing and his running. It really felt like he wanted to make an impression on the U.S. fans. Um, and I felt like he did that. He was hungry for goals in that first game against Mexico. It was a lot more of that pressure and running off the ball and that type of thing. In that second game against Canada, we really got to see the offensive output that you get from a striker who can just go out there and get goals. His ability to turn his hips, his ability to get dangerous in front of net, his ability to um, turn half chances into full chances because he's got that technical ability with the ball. Um, and I think we're just we're just getting into it. I think I said after the uh, Mexico game that you could tell that there were some instances where Flo was making runs and the rest of the players weren't playing him in. Um, it just felt like they, they weren't used to that, having that guy. We weren't really playing centrally much. And then in that second game, it, it was night and day. You just They were paying off his runs. He was getting into the game. And whenever the ball got to his feet, uh, whether it was just a, a, a nice, simple, smart combination play that let the rest of the game go on, whether it was him drifting out wide and combining or, or something like that, or it was him in front of the net beating a defender to the ball, uh, getting his hips to the goal to where he was in a shooting position, putting balls on frame. Uh, that I mean, the the goal that he scored, um, I forget who passed the ball, but where he right made now. the run in behind the def- Yeah, yeah, it was Gio. You're right. You're absolutely right. Where he got in behind the defender and had the strength and balance and speed to get that run, to hold the defender off, and then hit the, hit the finish at the end of it. Just... We just didn't see that at all in the 2022 yeah. cycle, and I'm so excited. The next question I have for you is, if, we, if we've established that Flo's the top dog, and as you mentioned, 
Um, he's a little bit, his, his future is a little bit uncertain right now because it's not looking like Arsenal are, are going to take him back. Uh, they put a pretty hefty price tag on him. I've seen rumors that he's going to go to Bundesliga teams or wherever else. I, I don't know exactly where he's going to end up. Uh, but uncertain club situations mean, as we've seen over and over again, that playing time isn't necessarily certain, even though Flo is, we just think the world of him and is such a quality player. Um, if we get into a situation as we so often have with some of our top U.S. men's national team players, where they're just not getting playing time. Is Flo still the top dog? Is he still the guy who you're going to call in and you're going to start, regardless of what's going on in his club, a la someone like Christian Pulisic or Weston McKinney or, or somebody like that? Yeah. It's an interesting question because for someone like Christian Pulisic, we've had four or five seasons to see what he can do. We know he's developed into the type of player that's going to be on the field for the U.S., no matter if he's playing for his club or not. I think the situation is a little bit different with Balogun, where he's really only had two professional seasons, Middlesbrough and um, and Rams in, in France. So personally for me, yeah, like in the next year, if he goes to, I don't know, a Newcastle, uh, for instance, I, and doesn't play, he's probably still number one on the depth chart for me. Until Pepe, with his transfer, until he's starting to score a ton of goals, um, Balogun is, is going to be the number one for me. I think he's put himself into that position like Christian Pulisic. And you mentioned, you know, trying to find a number nine that can score or anyone on the pitch that can score with ease without having the service. I think for a long time when Christian Pulisic came in, into the team after 2017, teams could just focus on him. And then we added Gio Reyna and then we added Timothy Weah and then we added Weston McKinney. And all these players started to be those types of players that could get into Champions League clubs. And we were always missing a nine, right? Like you could mark out Christian Pulisic, you could mark out a Weston McKinney. But now there's almost like an overflow on the U.S. men's national team where there's six attacking players. Maybe Tyler Adams gets into that conversation as well in the midfield. Five or six attacking players where if you mark out Pulisic, there are four Champions League quality players that are still attacking your goal. And it gets really difficult to start to defend that and start to plan around that. I think Balogun, for me, he's, he continues as number one. And obviously, over time, that dissipates the more and more with the time that he doesn't get on the pitch starting and potentially with Ricardo Pepe getting more and more goals in the, the Dutch Eredivisie. That kind of levels out the playing field. But for right now, yeah, for me, Balogun is still going to be the number one. You mentioned the hefty price tag. I think someone in England will look at that and say he has 21 goals in a top division. He's still very young. He can develop into quite a player. And because of his English heritage, he'll count as a homegrown. There are roster rules in the Premier League for as much as we like to talk about funny rules in MLS. Uh, I do think a team is still going to be very interested in Balogun because he meets a lot of those roster rules that gives you flexibility within the Premier League to build your squad around. I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, service because I think that's one of the things that I think is really misunderstood whenever it comes to great strikers. And we talk about service. The striker's not getting service. He's not getting the ball. Whenever you have a great striker, the service improves because the great striker puts himself in positions where the passer doesn't have to be as precise. I mean, if you watch the great goal scorers in world soccer, if you watch Lewandowski and Ronaldo and Messi and just... Marvel at how often these guys are by themselves in the box and just have these open opportunities. Um, I, I've, gosh, I, I believe I was watching a Juventus game 
where uh, Vlahovic got a, um, a, a, a ball in from, I believe it was Quadrado. It wasn't a great ball, but Vlahovic had the space to readjust his run and, and reposition himself in order to make up for it. And, and it's just, it, it's because he was able to make that run at the right time, at the precise moment, to put himself in a position where he had flexibility, where he could meet the ball instead of it needing to be absolutely perfect, which you generally find with strikers who are at the lower tiers, which is what we saw in the 2022 cycle for the U.S. Having a player like Balogun with that quality, with that game sense, with that awareness, with that ability to put himself in those positions makes the quality of the service all around improve. And I'm really excited to see that pay off. It's time to move on to that next tier because we've been mentioning it. Balogun, we both agree, is alone at the top. Who's, who's, your, who's your second striker right now? I think for me, I'm pretty confident in saying that Ricardo Pepe is the number two. But again, it's like Balogun, then a steep drop-off. Ricardo Pepe, still a great player. Maybe a, a smaller drop-off from there. Are we going to do three and four? Do you want me to say? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I want to hear your argument for uh, Pepe at number two. I mean, Pepe for me is like, he's a goal scorer as well. And the Dutch Eredivisie is a great league. Um, probably more akin to having like a attacking sides that are a little bit more uh, well-paid than the defending <laughs> in the league. So you find that a lot of the attacking lines are much more quality than the defending lines in the Eredivisie. But still, I think Ricardo Pepe at that young age, to see him kind of stutter at the beginning for Augsburg and then still find his goal scoring form, uh, it was nice to see. And that's what you wanted to see. I think he's going to get a good move to PSV. And yeah, we'll see what happens. But for me, like he's still the, the second guy in terms of his movement, his IQ, his ability on the ball, um, his quick trigger in the box as well, I think is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And I know like maybe two years ago, I did a scouting report. We talked about this in one of our chats, um, but just the way that he's always trying to pinpoint the corners when he's shooting and you, you rarely see him shoot right at the keeper. Um, he's always doing something on purpose. And if he can put all of that together, he's going to start moving up closer and closer, inching towards that Balogun spot. And then probably Jesus Ferreira is going to be number three for me. It's it's in an oh, interesting you're spot. You're jumping ahead, sir. You're jumping ahead. We got to uh, stick okay. for Pepe on a, for a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Pepe, I, I think... Yeah, he's, I, he's just... I, I would closest. agree that Pepe's number two as well. And, and I think the, the best argument for that is that in the Nations League, whenever uh, Balogun did arrive and Pepe came off the bench, I mean, he was phenomenal. What more could you ask for? I mean, his ability to run players down and kind of kill off games, but also um, find those runs in behind and then be able to finish. Uh, if you're scoring goals coming off the bench, it's going to make it really difficult for anybody else to pass you up. Um, I'm curious about this move to pay SV. I know that they still have De Jong on the books. Um, and, and he's an older striker, a proven striker in, in that Dutch Aristovizzi. Um, he's a he's a goal scorer, and that's going to be a tough thing for Pepe to overcome if he's still there um, at the start of the season. So it, it, there potentially is a situation where we get a few months in the season, and Pepe's still getting you know cup starts and is is not quite the the top guy. Um, so long as that veteran striker is still in the mix, so that's my question kind of moving forward. Is he going to be able to win that spot and get those starts? I think if he does, I think we know that PSV is going to score a lot of goals and there's whoever their striker is, is probably going to score a lot of those. So Pepe could be in a situation where we're looking at him in two years and he's turned himself into uh, one of the 
the most sought after strike young strikers in the world. Um, I love the situation that we see Balogun in right now. Uh, but what what are your thoughts on his situation? Do you think he's going to be able to get in at Pasvay right away and start contributing? I think he'll contribute right away. I don't know if he'll start. You mentioned De Jong's age. I think there's kind of two things that for strikers especially matter to getting on the field, uh, age and goal scoring form. So I think De Jong is going to need rest, whether it's for cup matches or maybe some midweek matches. Pepe is going to get his starts there. And then I think no matter who you are, no matter what your name is, no matter if you've been in La Liga and now there's Divise, um, De Jong, if he goes on a, a cold spell, sometimes coaches just want to throw on someone else, see what they can do, see if they can get into hot form. And that's very different from maybe a midfielder or defender that doesn't necessarily have production measures like goals and assists. But I do think if you're a striker and the person in front of you is not scoring, that gives you every opportunity in practice to show that you're ready to take the field. And for me, like De Jong and Pepe are actually a very similar profile. Like Pepe's not blown past anyone with speed. And De Jong has always been known for his heading ability, um, his ability to be very technical in the box and kind of be a fox in the box. I think Pepe can be really successful at doing that. Um, so I'm going to take more of, if you know me, like this is normal, but I'm going to take the more optimistic approach here, thinking that even if he doesn't start, De Jong is kind of a perfect profile striker to learn from, someone that's been around the block to be able to learn some of those skill sets from. And at the striker position, like you're always going to have chances to impress the coach and put your name in the ring for the starting 11 at the next match. Yeah, I'm excited to see it, man. I mean, the, those he just lost some years there at Augsburg, and um, it was disappointing to see him in that form. Maybe there good was learning moments, moments in the Bundesliga. Honestly. Yeah, maybe so. I, I don't know. He he seems to have uh, refound some form, refound some confidence. The version of Ricardo Pepe that we saw in Nations League was a lot different than the Ricardo Pepe that I remembered uh, prior to that. I think he's he's improved tremendously. Um, he'll need to keep improving though if he wants to earn some starts off of Balogun because that guy. Uh, was just shot out of a cannon into the national team, and it's really exciting. Uh, so you already kind of uh, showed your hand for as far as the third striker in the depth chart, uh, but tell me a little bit more about why Jesus Ferrer is number three for you. Yeah, sorry for that spoiler alert, anyone watching. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with goals here. Um, Jesus Ferrer is, uh, I'll take what someone said in, in the It's Called Soccer Discord, which was, if there was a 22-year-old that is constantly in the conversation for MVP and Golden Boot in MLS, and he is tied with Landon Donovan for the U.S. Men's National Team in most hat tricks ever with three, and he's the first player ever for the U.S. Men's National Team with back-to-back hat tricks, without knowing who that person is, I think we'd all be pretty damn excited about what that player can do and what they can grow into. And if you attach that name as Jesus Ferreira, people are going to downplay that those accomplishments. But for me, like goals matter. Uh, goal form matters. I think also Ricardo Pepe was really good for FC Dallas because he had Jesus Ferreira playing alongside or just below him in more of a creative spot. Jesus Ferreira is in part to to blame for Ricardo Pepe's success in Major League Soccer. Yeah, Jesus had a had a pretty big number of assists on a lot of those Ricardo yeah. Pepe goals. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was it was not yeah. insignificant. <laughs> and I think when we get further into this conversation, what a detractor of Jesus Ferreira at the number three spot would say is, well, in the World Cup, Josh Sargent was our best striker. And when Jesus Ferreira played against the Netherlands, it wasn't good. 
And what I would say to that is, yeah, Josh Sargent was the best performing striker in the World Cup. That was now, what, nine months ago, 10 months ago. Things change. Uh, Josh Sargent has not kept up his goal scoring abilities uh, or form. And Jesus Ferreira probably wouldn't have started that game against the Netherlands if Josh Sargent hadn't gotten injured in the game against Iran. I don't think his profile, like a 5'9 striker, and we can argue about Greg Berhalter and Haji Wright and all of that, but a 5'9 striker that's more creative and not necessarily physical is gonna be a, is not going to be a great matchup against Virgil van Dijk and very physical, large um, defending players, center backs for the Netherlands. So yeah, Jesus Ferreira needs to do better in the World Cup in that competition, but I'm not going to chalk it up to like, it was always the game plan to put a 5'9 striker up against Virgil van Dijk. We kind of had to play that way because of Josh Sargent's injury against Iran. Um, but yeah, I think Josh Sargent's right, like they're neck and neck, right? They're pretty much uh, indistinguishable for me. If if we had a roster and we called up three strikers, I don't really mind. Like I can see either argument for it to be Balogun, Pepe, and one of Jesus Ferrer, Josh Sargent. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of in that vein as well. I'm not. Um, I, I wouldn't be super shocked to see any number of those three guys called in. Um, I'm I'm excited about Ferreira. I feel like I I've been a a, a card carrying member of the uh, Ferreira fan club. Maybe the president of the Ferreira fan club and in times where it got pretty it. dark. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, very recently uh, still getting stick for it, but. <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I'm excited that he's gotten to show the greater fandom what he's been doing in MLS because he's been very good this season. Uh, I feel like he's a different player than he was the previous season. I think people forget that this is his second year as a striker. I mean, you mentioned that uh, when Ricardo Pepe was in MLS, which was not too long ago, uh, Jesus Ferrer was not the striker. Pepe was the striker. He's sort of had to learn on the job, and his learning on the job has been in the golden boot race in MLS last season. In his first year at striker, and then in the uh, Golden Boot race again this year, and one of the top guys. I, I mean, if he wasn't taken away from the Gold Cup, um, he'd probably be still scoring goals right now. I'm, I'm sure that's going to affect him. He's missing a significant amount of games, uh, but still, you're seeing all those skill sets that that we see from FC Dallas at the Gold Cup. Um, his ability to create. I think we saw that in the Jamaica game where we, he created just about. All the chances, I think that I, I don't know the exact number. Um, the game uh, in St. Nitz and the uh, game against Trinidad, he gets the hat tricks. And we're seeing a lot of different really good um, goal scoring assets that he possesses. His, his super, I mean, he's one of the more um, soccer savvy players that we have. I think he's pretty up there as far as that. I think he's got that quick trigger as well. I think he's shown yeah. that time and time again. I, I mean, think he really has that ability. Trinidad was. Class, like that was actually an insane goal. And if anyone else other than Jesus Ferreira scored that, we'd all be, you know, standing up and applauding that effort. It was a great goal. And th- those are the little things that I really get excited about a lot of players, and, and particularly excite me about uh, Ferreira is that just that technical ability and that calm under pressure and that that ability. I mean, with the defender in his face to take the touch and slot it in the back of the net with that just kind of cool poise in a way where the defender had nothing. He he couldn't do anything. The goalkeeper couldn't do anything. And that's the type of move that regardless of if you're playing uh, Trinidad and Tobago or you're playing, I don't know, Sevilla or somebody like that, like that skill set's going to transfer. That's impressive. I I think there's still questions about him, and and I I don't think you can get around it. Um, I mean, what what is he going to look like whenever he steps on the field and he's not the best player on the field? Uh, we've seen him at his best whenever he is the best player on the field 
And we've seen him at his worst whenever he's not, whenever um, he's up against stronger opposition. I mean, he did have a um, he's had a he's had a couple interviews where he's come out and talked about some of his uh, his his struggles with the stress and, and, and that side of the game. Um, talked about how whenever he gets down on himself in a game that that can kind of spiral and really put him off. I think we saw a lot of that against the Netherlands, where if, if things aren't going his way early, he's just not at that time. He wasn't a player who was going to fight to get back in it. And if you're playing at a higher level, a lot of these games are not going to go your way. And you're going to have to find that mentality where I talked about like a Clint Dempsey earlier, where even if you got nothing going for the entire game, can you find it in the 85th minute to just just fight and claw and steal away that goal just out of nowhere? And that's the, that's the evolution of Ferrer that we want to see. We know that he can be great if the game's flowing through him, if everybody's passing him the ball, if, if he has just the opportunity to do whatever he wants in the box. But what happens if his Virgil van Dyke is putting an elbow on his back and is kicking him every time the ball comes close? If everybody's bigger and stronger and just as fast as he is on the field, is he going to be able to show those things off? I think that's why he just absolutely has to uh, get to that next level in competition. And it's going to be difficult considering his contract, considering what he means to FC Dallas, considering FC Dallas's ambitions. Um, it's going to have to be a pretty big transfer deal. It's going to have to be a pretty big salary, considering the salary that he's on right now. I mean, Jesus is. Um, I did a video a few months back on the on the highest paid players um, for the U.S. Men's National Team, and Jesus is up there. I mean, he he makes pretty good money yeah. in, in FC Dallas, so he can't just go anywhere. He's going to have to go somewhere that's going to be able to afford him, unless he's willing to take a pay cut, which uh, I don't really know why anybody would do that um, if if they have the option not to. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, he's up against it and I understand why you would have Josh Sargent ahead of him. I might even have Josh Sargent ahead of him right now, but I want to ask this, what would it take for Jesus Ferrer to get into that second tier to pass up Ricardo Pepe in the striker depth chart for you? I think you, you kind of mentioned it, which is that he needs to test himself against those better opponents more consistently. And I'm pretty sure he scored the goal, the tying goal in El Cachico in March against Mexico. Like he has scored some big goals against big opponents, but I think we need to see him perform at the level that he currently is for the U.S. and for FC Dallas. Even if he went to the Dutch Eredivisie or I don't know the English Championship and and did what he's doing now, that would give everyone a lot more confidence that he can do this consistently and potentially give himself more confidence that he can do this consistently because there is a mental side to this that like very rarely do we stop and reflect that these are human beings that if something's not going your way and if you've ever played the game of soccer at any level you know that confidence is huge for even just your first touch for the shots that you're taking for your accuracy in passing and shooting and if you're a professional striker that confidence is 10x whatever we feel just playing with our friends or playing travel soccer. Um, it is a real thing that can impact your performance and your production on the pitch. I think for Jesus Pereira, he's always going to be under the microscope because of whatever he's turned into for the U.S. fan base. I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's kind of like a microcosm of like MLS versus Europe versus Greg versus... Balogun and Pepe, like all of those conversations kind of come to a head at Jesus Ferreira. Mm-hmm. And I think to get over that, he needs to test himself in Europe. And like that, I think that is a fair conversation to have. I, I feel like when people don't rate Jesus Ferreira, they like it's 
it's like it's never going to happen. It's like he can't grow into a player that can produce for the U.S. I don't think that's true. And I, it's a theme of conversation that I really don't appreciate about the U.S. fan base is like we're happy to throw a Will Trapp or Jackson Ewell aside if they don't perform over four or five matches. But we're also not willing to give grace to young players that can grow and develop into something that can give back to the U.S. national team. And for Jesus Ferreira, I feel like that's where he is. Is It's like, yeah, he was 21 years old playing against the Netherlands, playing against the best center back in the world when it wasn't the game plan. And because he has 15 expected goals and he's only scored 11 of them, people are going to hate him for the rest of his life or not think that he's worthy of the U.S. national team for the rest of his life. Where even two or three or four years down the road, if he can test himself in Europe and still continue to score goals and show the ability that he used to score that goal against Trinidad and Tobago against better competition with tighter spaces in the box, like there is still room. There's a lot of room for Jesus Ferreira to grow into that Ricardo Pepe, Balogun, even range. It just has to work all correctly and together. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't happen. But you at least have to give this guy the chance to do that and to show you that he's worthy for the team. Yeah, you make some great points there. I do feel like players are always fighting against their first impression um, and their first impression could be massive. And I think you look at someone like Ricardo Pepe, who comes out of the gates, what was it, Honduras, and scores yeah, the big goal he saved there. Us uh, that, from a yeah, basically saved window. the U.S. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's been his legacy. Uh, people kind of forget about the tail end of World Cup qualifying, wherever he kind of went in that slump at Augsburg when he was just, he wasn't that much better than anybody else uh, in that striker position uh, for a while there. But that first impression kind of sticks with us. Um, I think the same thing could be said for like Cade Cow, who's constantly fighting that. Um, we saw him come 19. out of the gates and <laughs> he's 19 and he's getting better and better and better. The Cade Cow at 17 was different than the Cade Cow that we saw at the U20s. And now all of a sudden he's at the Gold Cup and he's he's doing those things that we saw at the youth level against professional adult players. Now, they're not at the highest uh, scale of quality in the world in the Gold Cup so far. But the guy's getting better, and and to to hold um, his original his first performances as a as a youth player against him, and and to do that with any of these players, I, I think does a disservice to um, all of us as soccer fans, because like you said, all these guys are going to get better. Um, and, and another point I think is worth making is that um, one of the big knocks on Ferreira was that he could get himself in goal scoring positions against higher level teams, but he couldn't finish. And I, I feel like. That should be noted because I think as uh, the competition increases, um, he can put himself in those positions. It's just about putting the ball in the back of the net. Let's move on to the forgotten man, Josh Sargent, the guy who, as you mentioned, had the best performance uh, in the striker position uh, for the U.S., a player that uh, at the start of the 2022 cycle was the guy. I think he was supposed to be the guy for a long time, ever since he came out of the youth ranks for the U.S., um, and just was unable to put the ball in the back of the net and, and really do much danger at all um, at the striker position, subsequently loses his spot, finds his way to Norwich after a tough season in the EPL. He gets sent back to, down to the championship and finally starts to, you know, fulfill some of the prophecies set for him, um, finds himself in the World Cup and, and puts together a pretty good performance before getting injured again. Now you have him in the fourth spot. Uh, tell me about why Josh Sargent is number four in your depth chart for you. Yeah, I mean, I use four loosely. I'm going to call for <laughs> Sergeant a 3A and 3B. 
Um, I think they bring different skill sets. I think Josh Sargent is much more of a poaching player, um, someone that if you're going to you know, cross more balls into the box or ask someone to challenge the back line a little bit more to make more run in, runs in behind, um, if you want someone that can create that little bit of magic and find a goal out of nowhere, I think that is Josh Sargent over Jesus Ferreira. For me, it's just kind of like, who who do you want? What type of player do you want in that match? And at this point, like I kind of rate them the same based on their level of competition, what they've done for the national team, for their club teams. Um, but he he did really well for Norwich last season. Uh, Puki is leaving. He's gone to Minnesota, I think, in Major League Soccer. And for a long time, Josh Sargent had to not only compete with Puki for the striker position, but he also had to try and produce from a left wing which he wasn't really used to. We had never seen him play that way, uh, whether it was for Werder Bremen before, where he went through the the youth system, um, or for the U.S. men's national team. So I think in the same in the same vein that we need to give give Jesus Ferreira some grace that he can grow into a player that gives back to us. I think for Josh Sargent, like we can see that he has all the tools, all of the ability to get where he needs to. But let's see him with a team that plays in him him in his correct position where he's been able to be there for a few years to learn the the place the people the coaching all of that i think this if josh Sargent does not break out this season i think he starts to drop a little bit more in my depth chart to four maybe five six depending on what haji Wright or jordan pfock or anyone who breaks out does um but i do think if if any season is primed to have a breakout season for our striker position it is josh Sargent. This season with Norwich, I I I agree that he is primed for a big season, especially after what he did last season. I, I think I haven't really given my striker depth chart, but for me, I, I have I have Balogun at the top, of course, but I have Pepe and Sargent kind of neck and neck, and then I have Ferreira uh, at, at number four. I the championship's a damn good league, and for him to lead his team in scoring in the championship is an impressive feat. I mean, you mentioned earlier, if you had the blind resume for Jesus Ferreira, if you had the blind resume for Josh Sargent, I think that's pretty impressive. To to lead your team in scoring in the championship whenever you're not always playing striker, and then to go off and have the the World Cup that he did, I think is impressive. I I think whenever he's on the field, you know that he is an absolutely relentless worker. Um, I I think all of these strikers are, but I think Josh Sargent is in a class of his own whenever it comes to that, defending from the front. Um, he gives you that with the strength and a ruggedness and an aggression that um, I, I think is elite uh, in in his class as far as his defending yeah. from the front. Um, and then my knock on Josh for, for his professional career was always been that he just never won that race to the front post. He just never seemed to be able to create the space with the defender in front of goal. Um, and whenever he did, he just seemed to have the yips whenever the, the ball came to his feet. Um, just a striker that would go long stretches without even having like a, a shot on target or something like that, without even having just these dangerous moments. I think that's starting to change. I think it's starting to come together uh, for Josh Sargent in that regard. And if he is able to put himself in those dangerous moments more consistently, and you look at the rest of the package for Josh Sargent and you compare it against Ferreira and Pepe, I mean, it's it's tough for me to say that Sargent... Uh, doesn't deserve to be in the in the mix uh, just as much, if not more, than any of these other guys. Uh, so I, I am curious to see what Sargent looks like with 
Gio Reyna and um and, and Tim Weah and Christian Pulisic and, and this new look U.S. Men's National Team offense that's um that's able to find the guy in the middle a little bit more. Uh, so I, I think I, I think the race is kind of neck and neck with Pepe and Sargent. I think it's going to really be important to see how both these guys start the season. As we mentioned earlier, uh, Pepe's not exactly in the driver's seat at PSV. He's got a veteran striker in front of him who's probably going to start the season as the number one guy, whereas it looks like Josh Sargent is in the driver's seat for Norwich, and he is going to be able to start the season. And it might be one of these situations where, you know, we're three months into the season and Josh Sargent has like four or five goals for Norwich, and Pepe is is struggling to put minutes together and is is kind of coming in here or there. Uh, putting some goals in, but is not getting the, the minutes like like Sargent. And Ferreira, at the same time, is still at FC Dallas, and it's kind of difficult to to really, you know, stack his resume against everybody else's. So I, I think I think all these are possible. I think there's also a world where Ferreira gets a move uh, in this transfer window, and it's p- possible that he's not playing at this point. It's also possible that he's earned a starting position uh, at a pretty high level and is impressing and, and is showing – that he can do these things that, that we've kind of challenged him to do. So I, I think it's pretty wide open at this point, but I think it's a, a, a lot more exciting and different than the wide open that it was two years ago because it's wide open in a way that, that you have a lot of guys who I think are poised and in position and have the qualities and are starting to um, find their games um, at, a, at the same time. And the competition is starting to be fierce. Like it's not enough to... Uh, be playing at a high level. It's not enough to be starting games. It, you have to be uh, you have to be scoring and scoring regularly and be in form in order to beat out these other guys because suddenly we have some competition. Yeah, I mean, it's all of this, like this entire conversation is a great thing for anyone that is a fan of this team because two or three years ago, we were saying, now, if one if one guy can just score a few goals, can get two or three goals, <laughs> like we'll be good. That's going to be our starter. And now we're talking about someone that had 21 goals in Liga, someone that had 13 goals in the English Championship, someone that has 10 goals in 18 matches in Major League Soccer, and all like Josh Sargent. For if you've been following this team for any amount of time, you have probably been following Josh Sargent since his U17 days with Timothy Weah. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, this guy has to be like 25, 26. He's 23 years old still. Okay, that's that's still a developing player in soccer. Jesus Ferrer is 22. Balogun, I feel like he had a birthday recently, so he's he's 22 now. Um, all of these players Something are going like to be yeah. 25, 24 years old in the 2026 World Cup. And right now, three years before that, we're talking about who can get the most goals to put themselves in the right position. I just want to ground everyone that before the 2022 World Cup, we were just praying and hoping that someone would score any amount of goals to get into this team and be our number nine. So I think this entire conversation is a great thing for anyone who's a fan because of what it means for, for us going into the future. And we're kind of having the, conver- the, the angle of conversation has changed to who is the best versus what it used to be, which was who was the least worst, who can do the least amount of damage while they're playing for the U.S. national team. And I think that really came to fruition in the 2022 World Cup because I really felt like striker was yeah. uh, probably the worst, if not you know one of the worst positions that we had. I mean, we're talking about Josh Sargent's performance, that he was the best striker for the U.S. in the World Cup. He wasn't great. 
Didn't have a goal. Uh, I do remember I had a conversation with uh, Zeeland, who's a football manager, YouTuber, before the World Cup started. And he was essentially making the point that if you had Kareem Benzema and Virgil van Dyke added to the U.S. roster, we like you automatically upgrade us to semifinalists or quarterfinalists expected. Um, that was really all that the starting 11 was missing. So I completely agree with your point on the number nine there. Yeah, and and there's very much a world where Ferreira gets a transfer and he's playing well. Josh Sargent is playing well in the championship and Pepe wins the starting spot um, and he's playing well as well. And it's just like all out competition. I think that, man, I, I think that we undervalue how good the championship is. I mean, the EPL has just pulled away as, as far and away the top league in the world with just the amount of money that that league has and the amount of players that they can go after. I thought it was kind of funny seeing uh, Eunice Musa's being chased after by AC Milan right now, but they got a competing bid, which was higher from Musa from Fulham. Fulham is out competing AC Milan for a soccer prospect, and that sort of illustrates just how powerful the financial might of the EPL is in, in this moment in time. And that trickles down to the championship where the top teams in the championship are really good teams. Uh, even the bottom, yeah. I mean, top to bottom, the championship I, is a very good league. And for Josh so Sargent to be doing what say, he's doing. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. All right, so I have something to say about the championship because the, when, when people, when good teams are good in Major League Soccer, almost always it's because that team is able to care the most, most consistently on the pitch that their defenders are going into every tackle, that they are able to get themselves mentally ready to compete in every match in Major League Soccer. But in the English Championship, even the team that's in 24th, 23rd place, those defenders are still fighting for their lives, fighting for their absolute careers. And to have Josh Sargent score 13 goals in the Championship, I, like I'm going to rate goals in the Championship more than I rate goals in Major League Soccer. Because you might come up against a team that on that night, you know, they're not, they don't have anything to play for. Their defenders are paid. It doesn't matter whether they go into a tackle. It doesn't matter if they risk their body to stop a goal. Um, but it does matter in the English championship. All right. Now, there are a couple of strikers out there who we haven't mentioned. I mean, there's guys like Jordan Pifak, Haji Wright. Uh, Brandon Vasquez that are sort of falling to the periphery right now. Um, do you think there's any dark horses who can potentially jump into this conversation of the top four in the depth chart? I think Haji Wright probably has the the best case here. Um, he's put he's put together really solid seasons um, and obviously got himself into the team for the 2022 World Cup. Scored a goal by accident against the Netherlands. Um, I think he he's probably the dark horse. Jordan Pivak was exciting last season when Union Berlin started their season, but it, w it was almost like the, the opposite of Jesus Ferreira, where he scored a lot of goals and had very low expected goals, and he kind of dropped back down to the mean over the, the last half of the season in the Bundesliga. Um, and like in my mind, he's kind of cooled off a little bit there. He's also cooled off based on you know the amount of starts and the way that the coach sees him on that squad. Um, I think otherwise, like there's always a chance that some player comes out of nowhere, some 17, 18 year old comes out of nowhere for in Major League Soccer. Um, you know, we, we talk about what the conversation was two or three years ago. I think if you look back even 2018, 2017, like Bobby Wood, 
is scoring goals for New England Revolution right now. He's scoring tons of goals in New England. And at that time, it was like, okay, is Bobby Wood the future or Aaron Johansson? Is he the future? Um, so just make sure you, you're able to feel good about where we are and the progress that we've made. I think for me, though, Dark Horse this season is probably Haji Wright. Um, would love to be surprised, though, by some name that I'm not even tracking at the moment. Yeah, I mean, who, who the, the, the guys who were... I, I don't know. I, I think that top four is pretty solid at the moment. Uh, though we did see that Brandon Vasquez was a big transfer prospect for yeah. uh, what was it, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, so, you know, if he gets that move and he starts playing well, he has a de- definitive claim to uh, get, at least get a look for the U.S. men's national team at that point. Um, but I, I think that that's sort of the bar. Like, you've got you've got to be playing at a high level and playing well, which makes it uh, tough to make that case for Ferreira in this moment in time. Um, I, as far as like a 16-year-old, I mean, the the, the real guys who are into to the youth soccer don't really see that prospect right now. Uh, but, you know, maybe like a Paxton Aronson decides that he's going to be a striker or something. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. Uh, and there, there's always the potential that there's a 16-year-old dual international that we don't know about that um, starts setting the world on fire. And by the time he turns 18, 19, um, decides he wants to represent the U.S. And, and then we've got a, just a whole nother uh, name to add to the list. But uh, yeah, I, I think we've done a pretty good job of uh, of breaking down the depth chart and kind of breaking down the striker options at, at the moment. And I think it's it's a much better conversation right now than it was when we had it a few years ago. Is there anything else you want to cover as far as the striker for the U.S. men's national team? No, man, it's just nice to see some goals again. Um, for a long time, it was, you know, send it up to Clint Dempsey or Brian McBride and hope for the best and pray. And like we, we've done our best to surround the rest of the team in talent. But now to, to be able to find a player that can consistently score at a high enough level, um, that, will, that will genuinely take the U.S. national team to the next level, to the next tier. I think right now we kind of ebb and flow between like tier two and 1.5. I think finding a striker, maybe developing another center back or having another Tim Ream-like story uh, to, to pair with. Maybe Miles Robinson is stays healthy and he's the player that we're looking for. I think getting those two things right and starting to add depth to those other pieces, that genuinely does take the U.S. starting to move them into that like 1.5 Croatia almost area, I would argue. That that game against Canada in the Nations League was absolutely cathartic. Just to see a striker getting himself in those positions and doing those things with the ball that Balogun was doing was just like, oh, yeah. oh, okay. So this is what we're doing now. This is the yeah. U.S. now. Okay, <laughs> you, you this is different. Like the, all the little things that he did in that build up to the goal, like those are so many. There were so many small little moments that he got absolutely perfect from the angle of his run to the timing of the run to the way that he held off the defender to the way that he made space and that angled his body to the goalkeeper, the, the wrap that he took on the, on the shot and the power that he put on the shot, the height of the shot, like everything was just absolutely perfect, but we don't realize when it's moving, you know, that entire moment was maybe a second or two seconds, but there was probably 20 small things that Balogun did absolutely perfectly to score that goal. And that, that is what makes me so excited. The margins on that goal were so slim and we just, ne- we never saw that. I mean, someone brought up that uh, Pepe had a similar goal whenever Dest assisted, but the space that Pepe had uh, compared to the space that Balogun was operating in, which is the space that you're going to get 
whenever yeah. you start getting to these higher end defenders is that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to slip in in behind that center back and hold them off with your strength and then be able to locate the ball, turn your body and fire yeah. an accurate shot. I mean, just the the geometry involved and everything that was just so natural for Balogun is what you're going to get whenever you get one of these higher end strikers. And that's what the U.S. have right now. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. There's a little Jake, bit of thank you so much fire. for coming on. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, I'll I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure, man. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you leave a like, you subscribe, you leave a comment. You know, we haven't done this in a while, but I, I want to start it up again. Si puede hablar español, dígame un comentario en español. Quiero leer uh, unos comentarios en español. It's been a minute, but I, I always appreciate it. A lot of you guys still do it, so I appreciate that. Um, if you want this uh, video and podcast form, you can find the Anchor Port Podcast anywhere you get your podcast. On behalf of Jake, and it's called Soccer, my name is Sam. This is the Anchor Port brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.